This is Cyber Defense Radio with your host and cybersecurity expert, Gary Malefsky. Gary brings to you another globally recognized cybersecurity executive in the hot seat today. Sitting in my hot seat today, this is exciting. My third interview of an author, a best-selling author, Rose Fast, and she's got a great website. It's fastforward.com, F-A-S-S forward.com. She's the founder and chair of the Fast Forward Consulting Group. She's a thought leader. She's got two great books out, The Chocolate Conversation. She'll tell us more about leading bittersweet change and transforming your business, as well as the leadership conversation in her new book, To Make Bold Change, One Conversation at a Time. And speaking of one conversation at a time, let's start our conversation. Welcome to the hot seat. Thank you very much. I'm on the hot seat. I'm ready to roll. Well, tell us a little bit about your background, because you've got more tech background than many authors on, you know, business transformation subjects. You know, it's it's a very interesting uh, thing. I had started as an entrepreneur in the fashion industry, and uh, that was in, I graduated from BU in 1971, went to Saks Fifth Avenue, and from there I went on uh, to do more fashion, cosmetic industries. The morning of my wedding, the officer, uh, board officer at uh, Xerox, met me at the New Canaan uh, Roger Sherman Inn. I'm in electric rollers and he says, we're trying to hire women into tech and we're having a difficult time. And I talked to one of your uh, associates who mentioned that you would be a good person to talk to. And maybe you could be one of the women we hired on the management track uh, at Xerox. And back in the day, this is when Xerox was $1,000 a share. I joined the company in 1978. Um, Palo Alto Research, known as the Beloved Park, the chief scientist, John Seeley Brown. Um, and it, we were selling big iron, like IBM, but it was all tech. And I was one of two women that were hired from the outside because they did not have women in management positions. So um, I'll tell you one little story, very quick and easy, that'll be a little bit humorous, but um, there was a guy who was head of commissions and uh, it was an all boys club. And they had gone over and said, we'd like Michael Blumenkrantz to have an associate. You're going to be his associate. He wore Gucci loafers. He was dressed to kill. He had the whole legal market. And uh, he says, I don't do associates. No. Um, so HR said to him, you got to you got to take Rose. We, we have to have you have to have an associate like everybody else. I'm 350 percent of plan. The answer is no. Um, so with that. Bunch of guys are there, Ross, Milhauser, Pantezzi. These are old names, so nobody will be hurt by this. And the commissions guy comes out and he walks over to me and he said, would you like to see my automatic input device? And they're all yucking and laughing. And I'm, you know, 1978, woman in business in this all male company. So they're all looking at me. And I thought I could get defensive. If I do, I'll be in trouble. So I turned around and I said, well, I might be interested, but I heard you shut down after one copy. At which point the guys broke up. He left. Michael Blumenkrantz picked up the phone, stabbed it and said, I'll take Rose and hung up. And that was my foray into my first tech company. Wow. So you were you were at Xerox Park in, in the in the good old days. Where well, in New York, in New York. And I in 19 in 2000, uh, actually 1993, I went over to corporate and I was working for John Seeley Brown, the chief scientist 
and the CIO, a celebrity CIO, and Ann Mulcahy, who was then the COO. Um, and I was a chief transformation officer before they knew how to spell the name. Um, and yes, I, I went down to Park and believe it or not, during those times, well, they were talking about smart TVs and smart refrigerators in the 90s. These are the guys that invented the UE and the mouse and they were amazing. So yeah, all tech, um, one of the great practice labs and Steve Jobs, you know, gathered a lot of his IP from his time at Park and, and formed Apple. Yeah, I heard he and Bill Gates loved the graphical user interface from Park and spun off their own versions that they commercialized. The, the GUI, that was our GUI. We had more innovation at Park than anywhere else. The problem was our main house, the big house, couldn't monetize it. They didn't figure out, they were making big iron and they couldn't figure out how to monetize all that. We, so, we, yes. we had the same problem at Wang Laboratories. Uh, they invented, yes, you did. Yeah, they invented the guide um, and uh, showed it off at Comdex and people couldn't believe a, a Palm Pilot device, you know, 10 years before the Palm Pilot. And that Absolutely. Was, yeah, that was the problem. It was way far ahead of its time. Now, yep. today, AI is the new ahead of its time, right? And it's just, it's coming out real fast and furious. And a lot of cybersecurity executives are getting paranoid and they want to know how to handle AI and how to communicate to their board and get their budgets and, and improve and tune up the privacy, the security, the protection of the data. They're under the gun all the time. And one of their challenges is communicating tech speak to the tech group and business speak to the, to the board and the CEO and the CFO. Do you have any advice, ideas, or their thoughts or nuggets maybe that we can yeah. share now or maybe even- anyway, that was, that was an age, That's an age old problem, isn't it? Um, the IT guys were always great at being able to speak tech and the tech guys um, could speak to each other, but they never could speak to the business. And it's very interesting. Storytelling is a huge vehicle. And uh, John Seeley Brown uh, had a tremendous uh, gift for storytelling. Uh, and I think every CISO, every CIO, even the guys in tech, they need to share use cases in story-like form. And what do I mean by that? I wrote in the book about three spheres that people operate in, the technical, the social, and the political. The technical sphere is what I know, my experience, my knowledge, my subject matter expertise, and how I communicate that. In the social sphere, it's how I context that, how I connect the dots for people, how I relate to human beings about what that is all about, putting my content into a context, into a story, into a way to socialize my ideas. And then in the political sphere, that's all about how I position things in a way that somebody else is also winning as a result of my being in the conversation. So I wanna take that a bit further. What I know, who I know, who knows me. Content, context, positioning. Then we go down a little bit further and we say, this is where you're a valued asset. You're a tech guy, you're a valued asset. We need you, you're the go-to, get it done, thank you. Here's where I'm a valued colleague. I wouldn't mind partnering with you. You're collaborative, let's do it. But here's where you're an opinion shaper. You're a valued advisor. You now have a, a, a technical expertise, a social network, 
and a political standing. That's critical. And for a CISO to be able to go into the C-suite and the board and say, this is how we make money as a company. This is how we lose money as a company. And this is when we put our company at risk. And let me tell you a little story. And then they tell a story about a breach and what happened during that breach. And when it happened, how it affected, whether it was the old Target story or any of the latest and the newest, or when we ended up shutting down all the gas pumps. Um, and they tell the story. And the story resonates. That's what people relate to, the emotion and the story. And then say, we're in a position right now where we're at risk. And the way we aren't at risk is if we add some resource and we put some money against this so that we can prevent any of these catastrophes from happening. It's not sexy, guys, but it's what we need to do. So that conversation has to happen in a way that people who are in business get it, that they don't want to be the subject of a security breach or have the government come in and create a problem for them. So it's really about the ability to tell it like a story and then have them see themselves in the picture. And that's a conversation. It's not a, it's not a monologue. That's great advice. And a, a lot of CISOs, um, you know, they're maybe nervous about sharing too many breach stories because, oh, that's just another breach, fear, uncertainty, and doubt. Oh, you know, that's never going to happen to us. A lot of board members are new to cybersecurity, but I've talked to a lot of experts where they say it's not a matter of time. We're already breached. The question is how far in our network are they? How resilient are we to the data loss or data theft? And just changing the conversation and the dynamic. I love that advice. Any more nuggets of advice for these cybersecurity executives in their yeah, you know, the growing? The, they're, they're in charge of defense, but the conversation can't be defensive. So we have to come across calm and entertaining to some degree. And the whole AI threat, AI is better thought about as augmented intelligence, giving it intelligent prompts so that it can help us do what we need to do, like any new technology. And there, from the beginning of time, when we brought in the car and the horse was gonna go away, there was huge fear, uncertainty and doubt about that. It doesn't matter. I remember, and I'm going to tell you a short story. I'm a, a child of uh, an immigrant granddaughter of a Italian grandparents. They put a phone in my grandfather's house. He refused to use it. He said, if anybody wants to come and talk to me, they have to come visit me. I am not getting on that phone. So everybody was upset. All my aunts and uncles gave him all the benefits, the features, why you needed to do it. He didn't want to hear it. My grandmother was not well. She had a diabetic attack and Gramps did not know what to do about it. So he grabs that black phone off the wall, the thing, and he's hitting it a mile a minute. And the operator comes on, he tells his story. Well, who is your daughter? He gives them the name. They get the phone number to the, to the hospital and to the ambulance to get over to the house. And they call my aunt Marion, who then shows up at the house. And grandpa is so grateful and they saved my grandmother's life. And he turns around and looks at them and he says, show me how to use the phone. This is, you know, we have to reach a point in life where we realize this existed 
throughout the ages. And AI is just the latest thing. Don't you remember year 2000 when we thought everything was going to go down and a computer would never work again? And oh my God. Um, I do believe that the CISO today, the chief information officer, the chief technology officers, they can lead the conversation today where before they weren't even a part of it. And I think that is a unique and wonderful position to be in. It's extraordinarily important. And the value of what we do with data, how we protect it, how we protect our company's jewels. And that's what they are, they're jewels, right? It's our competitive differentiators. It's everything that we know and need to have protected. And you are the holder of the gate. So I see that as something really inspirational. And I think we need to be more inspirational in our conversations and we need to let the tech guys know how important they are and why every day they make a difference in keeping the whole thing safe and going, especially in a world we're living in today. It couldn't be crazier. And I think it's really, you know, I, I listened to Jamie Dimon at the economic forum recently and I, I actually wrote him the CEO of uh, J.P. Morgan Chase. He was very brave. He talked about why it was important, blockchain technology, why Bitcoin. He never wanted to say another word about it. He had lots of wonderful gems, and he talked about border patrol, and he talked about all the things, that inflation, everything that we needed to worry about. And it takes a lot of courage to do that, to stand on a public stage and do that. But our public leaders aren't doing it. So our business leaders need to do it. And keeping us safe and keeping what we've got going on here with these security breaches and balloons over this part of the country and that, and who's stealing information. Mm -hmm. This is a hot topic now. There's no reason to not be front and center with this. Is this a bittersweet topic? And can we talk about chocolate? your last book, yes. can you explain yes. what, what it means yeah. to bittersweet Thank change? You. I appreciate the, the question. Uh, years ago, when I was at university, I got invited to a BYOC, bring your own chocolate party, and it was called Death by Chocolate. So I figure, oh, this is great, because I wasn't a big drinker, and I thought this is so much better than sitting with a drink in my hand and having nothing to say. So I show up, with my killer chocolate cake, thinking I'm going to be the hit of this party. And there's a table that's this, this long. And I'm, I'm so taken by it. I'm like, oh my God, where are all these things coming from? And I lay my cake at the end and I realize I'm not the big piece of stuff I thought I was gonna be. But anyway, we're having conversations. And I thought, well, we're all chocolate lovers. Be honest with you, there were a lot of chocolate snobs in the room. And I was with this one gentleman that I had just met and he said to me, you know, when you want chocolate, isn't a Snickers bar good enough? And I said to him, yeah, I could have a peanut butter cup. I, and this woman turns around, she's about a size zero. You know, you love that type. Anyway, she says to him, Snickers, are you kidding? If I'm going to have chocolate, it's got to have a certain amount of keiko and I want to savor it on my tongue and I want. So I thought, oh my God, fast forward the clock. 
pun intended. I'm now sitting in an all-company strategy meeting at Xerox when we've decided to go with the digital X and we're going to become the document company, not the copier company. And everyone walks away from that conversation in the main auditorium with a different interpretation of what was said. And I thought, we're having a chocolate conversation. Everyone understood we're moving from copier to document, but they didn't understand the implication. We all got yelled at. I then started thinking about the layers in a chocolate conversation. And I thought, there's the worldview level, which most CEOs start at, their point of view, the big picture, the 30,000 foot. And then they have a set of standards that are invisible to everyone else. What's going on? What do you expect? Where's the clarity of direction? And then the third layer is the concerns. That's when everything bubbles up among people with, how are we gonna do that? When do they wanna do that? Why are we doing this? What exactly are we doing? So I wrote the book, The Chocolate Conversation because I was in a MasterCard meeting with a brand new organization 20 years ago that they were standing up called Advisors. And I realized they were having a chocolate conversation. And I threw it out and I said, if I say the word chocolate, what's the first thing that comes into your head? And one of the guys said, ice cream. Another guy said, Brazilian. Another guy said, dark. Another woman said, the gym. Another person said, Holly Berry. And I'm like, whoa. <laughs> so I said, think about this, a simple word like chocolate, so many different views come up, so many different images in your mind. And the result is that we all had, yes, no problem. We know what you mean by chocolate until we get down to the specifics. Think of how complex a strategy is or a change agenda or cyber security strategy or defense. What do you think the interpretations are there? So my advice to people was to flip the conversation. Don't start with your worldview. Start with the problem you're solving for, the concern. Steve Jobs was an ace at it. You never knew you needed a thousand songs in your pocket. All you knew was that music made you feel better and he wanted to make the world feel better. So he started with a concern, an unmet need. From there, he established a brand new standard in the area of music and he changed and reframed the worldview for an industry. That is a unique gift and that's what we need to do is start with the unmet need, the concern, then establish the standard you are using to deal with that concern. And then you begin to reframe people's worldviews so they don't think of it as, oh, this is boring cybersecurity. We don't wanna hear about that. Rose, that is great advice. and. This moves into expanding from our bittersweet change and transforming our business into this deeper leadership conversation. The book, The Leadership Conversation, Make Bold Change One Conversation at a Time. What kind of nuggets of wisdom or advice can you share with our viewers or listeners? And I highly recommend they grab both books. It seems you should read both of them to really get a flavor for transforming your business. Uh, and the website is fassforwardfastforward.com. To learn Thank more you. about the books. Yeah, tell, tell us about the leadership conversation. So I was, after the chocolate conversation came out and people had asked me, can you write all this down? And we did it in that book. 
um, seven, eight years later, people were asking me about writing another book. And I kept watching the news and I kept thinking about all of the way in which civil discourse had gone away. My dad was a World War II Marine Gearer and he was um, a philosopher and a published poet, spoke all the con conversant and all the romance languages. And he cared that people got heard and listened to. I write about that in the book. We would have people from multiple different points of view at our table, but no one was shouting. They were having a civil discourse. Um, in one of the chapters, and I'm, I'm going to bring out this nugget, I write about that civil discourse. My dad said something that I'll never forget. He said, Rose, if you have to shout to get your point of view across and you have to shut down someone else's conversation, you can't hold up your end of the argument. And I never forgot it. And I think, to be honest, it's about walking in and not having a dual monologue but a true conversation. And it starts with asking questions. And in that book, I talk a lot about switch from declaring what your point of view is to asking people questions about concerns they might have that you might have a really good response for to engage in a two-way conversation that allows you to solve the pain point not just pontificate about why it's important to you. That, that's great advice. And sometimes uh, some experts learn more from people who are laymen or not experts. Uh, I mean, just what you said about Steve Jobs, he, 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 under, he was an expert on people. He understood. He really was. Yeah. And, and people's behavior. And so to be an expert is also to learn from those who might have new views or new opinions, and maybe we can get better at cybersecurity if we even invite folks into the conversation who aren't cybersecurity experts and ask their opinions on AI and the use of it and why they need it. Why does the sales team want to take a spreadsheet that may have confidential data, upload it to ChatGPT and say, fix this spreadsheet so I look good at my boss? Because they want to look good to their boss. They want to get work done quickly, but they're not thinking, wait a minute, I just uploaded confidential, personally identifiable information, PII, to some cloud somewhere, to some AI engine somewhere. And I never read the, the, the their uh, documents, the end user license agreement that might say we have access to this data. So how do, we, how do we change the conversation to get those who aren't in cyber to understand the risks, especially in this new AI world we're in? Yeah, and how long have you been involved in cyber? Well, I've been doing this forever, uh, believe it or okay. not. I've got my name on part of the FTP protocol. I was invited during DARPA research days on TCP IP to get involved in helping make it work. And uh, I helped enhance uh, the FTP protocol. So I've been doing this for a long time. I guess you have, and you're very affable. And when you were bowing out of your mom's womb, you didn't get anointed that you were going to be the cyber guy, but you've got a great personality and you're wonderful host here in talking to me. What would you tell a salesperson so that they understood it as not inhibiting them from doing something that they really would love to do and looking good, as you put it, but to get them to be part of the solution rather than being defensive about what they want to do. What would you do? Well, I'd use your advice, which is really a story. I'd tell them a story. Let's say we're working for Coca-Cola and you're about to upload part of the secret formula to a website that you don't know if Pepsi owns or not. Is that okay for our business if they get a hold of the 109-year-old secret formula that no one's ever seen? And is there another way to get that work done quickly 
that doesn't risk us all losing our jobs and going out of business. And that's a wonderful way to have that conversation, Gary. The other piece of it is asking them, do you want your competitors to see what you're doing in a way that they can come in and go out and beat you to the punch? And unfortunately, you end up at the raw end of the stick because you've given away the family jewels and here they are. There's all kinds of ways to have conversations with salespeople because salespeople by nature want to have conversations with people. That's why they become salespeople. They enjoy that. And when they're not engaged and they're not involved in the conversation the way you would have done it, they then go off on their own and do whatever they feel like doing so they can be successful, make quota, go to president's club. You know, that's what's important to salespeople. Exactly. And I think putting it in context of the understanding of the, the person you're talking to. So, you know, the story and the context makes sense. I'm learning this. For, I've, I've got to get your books. I can't no, wait. You, are, you have this naturally, Gary. I can see it. Um, you have this naturally. I mean, we started, we don't even know each other. And you very graciously invited me to participate in this conversation. And you wanted to know about me. Very few people want to do that. Very few people go into a conversation wanting to know your point of view, what you think, what about you. When you open it up that way, it changes the conversation. It's like an irate customer calls up and you say, how can I help you? What do you need? All of a sudden, you don't have an irate person on the other end because somebody is caring and they're listening to me. Exactly. By the way, some companies are using AI chatbots to do customer service and they're really upsetting their clients because the human context and a person on the phone, I, I just think it's crazy to be in cybersecurity and not, not have a phone number on your homepage of your website, for example. You know, we have 3,400 cybersecurity companies and maybe 10% of them make it easy to talk to a human being for support. And that's one of my pet peeves in our industry. You want that human touch and the ability to have some intelligent decisions beyond what's in the data lakes of the AI. Or you make it so easy. So I'm going to give you a counterpoint of view. Um, Amazon developed one click. In 1993, there were three gentlemen that wrote a book, The Discipline of Market Leaders. And they said, you have three choices. You can be an innovative company like Apple. You can be a customer experience company like the Container Store or Nordstrom's, very hands-on. Or you can be operationally excellent. When you choose where you're going, you do the other two in support of. So think about customer intimacy. Amazon knows more about customers than any customer intimate company out there. They're operationally excellent. They become innovative because of the one-click technology. Mm -hmm. They never make it difficult to make a return. You never talk to a human being, and yet everything you get from them makes your life easier than it was when you started. Whether you buy something or you return something, how do you want to do it? Do you want to go to UPS? Do you want to go to Whole Foods? Do you want to take it to the post office? Pick whatever way you want to go. So you can do the AI stuff if you're going to do it in a way that a customer feels like I've reduced my effort. They're not giving me homework. They're making it easy for me. All good. I have a connection. It may not be to a human being, but it's to something that's making my life simpler. You cannot do that. Then you have to provide the human being. 
That is a great counter argument. And it's true. The Amazon experience is so seamless. Uh, I haven't even ever tried to call customer service because it's always worked. Uh, Was it last time you had to call an airline and talk to somebody over the phone? You can buy a ticket now. You can return it. You can change your thing. They, it's they, amazing. They motivate you. I think you get a $50 discount uh, that they don't tell you about, but they say, oh, if you want to buy, if you want to get a ticket and you call our main number and our team helps you, there's, there's a there's a fee for that nowadays, but yeah. nobody's using it. But as long as you make things, it's, it, you know, I, I work with Verizon a lot and early days they used to say, we want to wow the customer. And I would say, well, you wow the customer with the phone, but you're not going to wow the customer with the experience. Well, why not? I said, just don't make it like it was at the uh, going to uh, motor vehicles. If they come out of a Verizon store and say, wow, I was pleasantly surprised. That didn't take too long. Or they get off the phone from customer service and say, I'm pleasantly surprised. That's better than wowing the customer. Reduce their effort. They don't need to be wowed. The merchandise will wow. I love that. We, I would call that make it a frictionless experience, which I yes. think I think our yes. shows and readers will have a frictionless way to transform their communications and their skills and learn more from your books. Give us some advice on which book to read first and where to get your books again. Yeah, I would suggest starting with the chocolate conversation. It's older. It's around the time that Barack Obama had his first presidency. Mm -hmm. um, and then I would read the leadership conversation. Um, and you can get them in Amazon, Barnes and Noble. You can order them off our website. Um, you just go online and Amazon will send the book. Um, the, the lovely part about this is there is one section in the new book where I talk about a 50-year conversation. I'm 75 years old. I've spent 55 years in business and I, 50 years in business and I share that. And it's all the, the things that happened story-like throughout my career. I think it's especially um, good for women to read that and understand what we all went through as well as anyone starting out in their career. So I would say to start with the chocolate conversation because we all have them and it becomes code for, oh my God, Gara, we're having a chocolate conversation. We need to figure this out to how to have those bold conversations in ways that people can hear you. Not where you're making someone feel defensive, but where you are making a situation easier and emotionally relatable. That's the important way to have a bold conversation. Make it emotionally relatable. Rose, what great advice. I think we've done that today. And Rose Fass, you are the founder and the chair of Fast Forward. I love the website, F-A-S-S. F-O-R-W-A-R-D, Fast Forward. And the truth is when Gavin, who is a uh, classically trained engineer and I joined forces after my time at Gartner, um, we were trying to get a name that would give people the sense of being proactive and moving ahead. And I got it in a dream. I was literally sleeping in, in East Hampton at a friend's house and I saw this massive amount of debris and kept moving along and, and somebody came up behind me and said fast forward and I wrote it down with a lipstick pencil and the next day we did the we did the uh, the company name 
I was president and CEO for 22 years. I have just appointed two co-CEOs, uh, Gavin McMahon and David Frost. Um, we have about 16 people that work at Fast Forward and then a whole lot of contractors. And I am now um, in the chairman role, um, which I'm very happy to be doing uh, and kind of guiding the succession for the next future of leaders. So we'd love to have you uh, take a look at our website and see what we do. Um, we have a lot of great uh, offerings for companies and people. That's awesome. Rose Fast. Again, founder and chair of Fast Forward Consulting Group at fastforward.com. Thought leader, business leader, uh, woman who's broken all these glass ceilings. Great history, great stories. I uh, can't wait to read both of your books, The Chocolate Conversation and The Leadership Conversation. Viewers and listeners, grab her books. You've been listening to Cyber Defense Radio. Stay tuned next time for another amazing and informative episode. CyberDefenseRadio.com is proudly part of the Cyber Defense Media Group, where InfoSec knowledge is power. Cyber Defense TV and Cyber Defense Radio have launched 24 by 7 by 365 live streams. Visit them online today at CyberDefense.tv and CyberDefense.radio with your host and globally recognized cybersecurity expert, and my good friend, Gary Malewski.